This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Have you ever considered how you might serve on the front lines of public health as a healthcare worker embedded in a federal agency? The commissioned core of the U.S. Public Health Service enlists medical professionals to fight disease, conduct research, and care for patients in underserved communities across the nation and throughout the world. We'll talk with an officer coming up next. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working in jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Valued for the resourcefulness and initiative, nurses and nurse practitioners in the commissioned corps serve on the front lines of public health, providing care to underserved populations and developing innovations in healthcare. They provide vision and leadership with administrative decisions, offer compassionate actions, and demonstrate knowledge and expertise. It sounds intriguing, right? Let's get started to hear specific ways you could get involved in health service. Today, we have the wonderful opportunity of talking with Jennifer Harlos. She's currently working as a lieutenant commander at the Commission Corps for the U.S. Public Health Service. Jennifer, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, you're really exciting to talk to because you have a lot of different work experience and a lot of different fields that many nursing students never even heard of before. Um, But before we get into what you're doing currently and some of the unique aspects um, that you have with your current position, I do want to ask you about um, your time at BYU. It's um, when, looking back at your LinkedIn profile, I can see that right about the time you graduated, you started working with Intermountain and uh, you were doing labor and delivery and stuff like that. How did you get into that type of um, uh, in, into that field right after graduating? Yeah, so um, I I did my nursing degree at BYU, graduated in two thousand eight, and um, I. Um, I had always thought that I wanted to do the emergency room. That was kind of like, I really liked that. Uh, I did like a little summer externship program, uh, working in emergency room. And when I got to the semester where you do like pediatrics and labor and delivery, I was like, oh, this is going to be a terrible semester. I don't want to do this. Um, and I was right about peds. Peds wasn't for me, but, uh, labor and delivery totally shocked me and I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is great. I love helping empowering women to, you know, have a good birth experience. And uh, I still got the adrenaline that you get from um, working in the emergency room that I was interested in. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that kind of changed my whole perspective. And then uh, when I graduated, I had been working as an LPN on a med surge floor in West Valley City, actually. And I just did that, you know, for more experience while I was finishing the program. And then I went full-time there when I graduated, but I always wanted to get into labor and delivery and being a specialty, I don't know if it's still the same these days with COVID, but at that time it was really competitive to get into labor and delivery. So uh, I ended up taking like a intermittent job in Park City just so that I could start working for Intermountain Healthcare and be an internal employee. And then that helped to move my application up higher 
uh, in the list of people who were always applying for labor and delivery jobs. And eventually I got called in for an interview. Somehow I managed to get the job and uh, that's how I got into labor and delivery. But I definitely had to fight for it. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a couple of years. Uh, but once, once, once you're in, you're in. So uh, I worked for just about a year in labor and delivery, uh, mostly at American Fork Hospital. Loved it. It was great. Still miss all my coworkers from there. And then I moved to Alaska and I've been up here since. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about right there then. So let's talk about the Alaska thing real quick, though. So you were here in Utah for about a year after you graduate, more or less, working for Mountain. Um, and then, I mean, talk about moving to Alaska. That's, that's quite a move. What, what drew you up there? So I actually worked for about three years as a nurse in the uh, Utah area and just did my last year in labor and delivery. Mm. Um, and then, um, so my husband, I was married, and he had just finished school by the time that I was done. Um, my first year in labor and delivery and he had spent his summers working in Alaska as a kayak guide and he thought it would be fun to come back up here and guide a couple more seasons and wouldn't it be cool to do the winter in Alaska and so we said okay well we'll move up here and we'll do two summers in the winter in between and we'll just you know experience Alaska uh for me it was like one of the last states that I hadn't been to and I was like this will be so fun a cool adventure so we took our 97 Camry and we packed it full of wow. everything that we owned and we put our bikes on the back and everything. And if it didn't fit in the Camry, it didn't come. And then we drove up um, the Alcan, which is the Alaska Canadian Highway. It's a beautiful trip. And uh, we came up here. Uh, we had a great time. My husband worked as a guide. I got a job super easy in Alaska. They desperately need nurses, so <laughs> it wasn't hard at all. And then. Um, we loved it. And at the end of our two summers and a winter, we took a little bit of time off. We spent about four months traveling around the country, um, trying to figure out what we wanted to do, seeing everywhere, just having a good time that you have when you're a young married couple. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then we said, well, we want to go back to Alaska. That was pretty cool. And so we came back and now we've been here for over 10 years and we bought a house and we've had two kids and we love it here. So that's great then. And you must have liked it because you were there for a little bit. You came back and, and then you end up returning to Alaska. Um, and th did you go back to doing labor and delivery in Alaska when you when you went back the second time? I did. When I came back, uh, I actually came back as a travel nurse because we still weren't like exactly sure what we wanted to do. Um, so I did a couple travel contracts, um, but we we finally decided we really wanted to stay for a while here. Um, and that's when I really kind of got more into my career and started taking my career more seriously. Um, so I went back to you know working full time at Alaska Native Medical Center and. Um, you know, I had heard a little bit about the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps while I was working there, and people had been like, oh, you should apply, uh, but, it, you know, the first time around, I, I wasn't ready to commit. Uh, the second time around, I thought, you know, this actually maybe might be a really good thing, and um, as I was getting more serious about my career, I wanted to think about, you know, how can I really make a difference um, in, like, health just beyond just the bedside. I really love, you know, taking care of patients, but there are so many issues 
beyond, um, you know, just what happens at the bedside in a hospital that I really wanted to address. Um, and then I also, you know, like I said earlier, I have a lot of like, I love to do the adrenaline things, uh, the idea of like deploying for disasters or doing anything like that sounded really interesting. And um, so I was introduced to the public health service there and I decided that I would apply. And uh, it took me actually about two years from the time I decided to apply to getting in. Um, wow. But since I got in, I've, I've been in since uh, I commissioned in September of 2015. And uh, I love it. It's been a great experience and it has provided all the growth opportunities that, <laughs> that I wanted in my career. So I'm yeah. glad that I did it. What is the U.S. Public Health Service? That's something I haven't heard of before, and I'm sure a lot of our nursing students haven't either. So what is it that that organization does? So, yeah, it's, um, it's actually one of the eight uniformed services of the United States. So I don't know if you can name them all, but <laughs> most people can only think of the military ones, right? There's the Army, the Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps. Uh, but there's also the Space Force, the Coast Guard, um, and then... NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And then there's us. We're the um, Commission Corps of the United States Public Health Service. Ah. So um, we're one of the uniformed services. And um, we actually have been around for a long time, even though no one has heard of us. <laughs> um, the most, uh, the, the thing that you might have heard of the most, I guess, is um, the Surgeon General. So. Uh, Right now, the Surgeon General is Vivek Murthy. Maybe see him on the news talking about how you should get your COVID vaccine shot. He is the leader of the U.S. Public Health Service. Oh. So that's why he's a general, even though he's just like some medical doctor. Um, and so, yeah, USPHS um, was actually started by President John Adams in 1798. So it's been around for a while. Uh, originally, it was meant to be a um it was meant to be a service to help like sick and disabled seamen so uh, originally we were part of the navy but we were kind of like the hospital marine hospital section of the navy and uh, we were meant to just help take care of um seamen who were in the u.s navy um and then that kind of expanded over time you know people often get sick when they're serving in the navy going to make other places and you know we used to quarantine people and not let ships come in you know so they wouldn't bring disease into the united states so we got involved in that um ellis island you know if you were screened on ellis island come in and then they looked for diseases to make sure that you were healthy to come into the u.s that was done by a public health service officer um so we've actually been around a long time even though no one's ever heard of us <laughs> um, <laughs> And then in uh, 1889 is actually when we separated completely from the Navy and became our own public health service. Uh, and for a long time, you know, there was, we were, you know, public health in America. So all of the public health departments around the country were originally federal public health service. Um, and, you know, eventually we made a decision as a country that we were going to 
privatize healthcare more and and separate more. Uh, states took on more of their own public health care. So um, in some ways, we've kind of receded into the background uh, from what we used to be, but we still do a lot of uh, clinical care in federal settings. So um, for me, I work at um, a federally funded, tribally run Indian Health Service Hospital. Um, but there are public health service officers who are serving in the Federal Drug Administration, um, the National Institute of Health, the Centers for Disease Control, Bureau of Federal Prisons, um, just any federal agency you can think of that might need healthcare providers, uh, we work in that. Um, so. Yeah, I see. Does that makes sense. Any yeah. questions? No, that, that, that <laughs> does. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think you explained that really well. And definitely, um, there's a lot of history there then. I mean, do you get deployed as well? Is it something where you would yeah. get deployed like, you know, nationally or internationally, depending on, you know, U.S. interests or or is it more just local based or is it deployment or how does that work? Yeah, so um, we definitely get deployed. That's a a huge part of being a Commission Corps officer. Um, so we have deployed a ton for COVID um, and we do little things like that. We deploy, you know, in conjunction with all of these other different state and government agencies and volunteer coordinators and stuff. Um, so, you know, some people, you may deploy to, you know, work at some mass vaccine clinic for COVID. Um, you might deploy to just go help a place that's overwhelmed and needs more healthcare providers right now with the pandemic. Uh, but we also like right in the very beginning of the pandemic, you know, I don't know if you remember back in 2020, but uh, there was like a cruise ship that had to dock in Japan and it had a bunch of Americans on it. And there was, you know, kind of like one of the first outbreaks outside of China was on this cruise ship and they docked in Japan and then these people had to get care. Um, the the Americans who came and took care of them were public health service officers. Uh, they went to Japan, helped take care of um, the Americans that were in Japan and helped them all get out and get safely home to where they need to go. So um, we do that, uh, but we've been deploying for all kinds of things for quite a while. So we deploy pretty regularly for like hurricanes and earthquakes pretty much every year. Um, there's deployments that go on for hurricanes. Uh, we deployed so many officers for Ebola, pretty much the entire US response for Ebola medically was done wow. by public health service officers. Um, so that was done. Um, Zika, we um, deployed for Zika. Um, and then the other thing that we're still deploying for right now is um, taking care of children at the border when there was that big push for uh, children unification at the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, public health service officers deployed for that and helped with the case management of getting those kids um, back where they needed to be. So, mm. Wow, that's fascinating. You have definitely have to wear a lot of different hats then as the situation changes. <laughs> Is the travel kind of exhausting or... Yeah, so I mean, it really varies. Uh, and that's one of the great things about the Corps is you can kind of choose how you want your career to go. So um, I myself have actually only deployed once in my six, almost seven years in the Corps. Um, and I deployed, uh, they call it an interagency deployment. So I deployed um, to another Indian Health Service hospital mm. 
actually in Alaska. I went for six weeks um, just to help out because they didn't have enough labor and delivery staff for six weeks. And so I covered for them. Um, but typically, because I work in a clinical setting and because, you know, we need our own nurses, I don't deploy. Um, I stay and I work where I work. Um, and so they look at that when they're looking at who to deploy and uh, your supervisor, whoever your supervisor is, has to give approval for you to deploy. So it's not quite like the like the military where, you know, they tell you to deploy and you're on the plane and <laughs> and that's how it is. Right. Um, it's a little bit more flexible than that. That's um, nice. So, you know there are positions that you can take in the court where that's your main job is to go to whatever disaster is happening and help with that. And then when there isn't somewhere to deploy you, they send you to a high need area. So there are officers who like all they do is deploy. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. I'm married with children, <laughs> but, uh, if you were single and loved adventure, I think that would be such a fun job. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you can deploy quite a bit um, or, you know, you can work in some area where you'll get the opportunity to deploy a little bit more than someone like me. Um, so let's say you work for maybe you work for like um, the FDA and normally you're going through and you're looking at drugs and approving them or something. That's more of like an office job. It's maybe a little easier to cover your job. And so you might be up for deployment more than someone like me. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to make your choice. And, you know, you can change that as you go along in your career and take different positions so that you maybe have the opportunity to deploy more or less. Um, but if you are at a clinical position in a high need area like Indian Health Service or the Bureau of Federal Prison, something like that, um, you're not going to get deployed very much. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so is that kind of like, is there any discussion? Like if they decided for some reason they really did need to deploy you, like do you have an mm -hmm. opportunity to defer a deployment or two? Or is it pretty much like if you have to go, you have to go and that's kind of the nature of the job? Yeah. So, I mean, they do try really hard to deploy the right people. Um, so typically with COVID, you know, we've been doing just so much more deployment than we did before the pandemic. So what they do is about every six months, they have all the officers fill out, uh, like a survey and they say like, if we were going to deploy you, please rank, you know, which month you would most likely like to go. Typically deployments are 30 to 60 days. Um, so they're also shorter than like doing a combat tour in the real military. Um, so they'll have you rank when would be the best time for you to go and they'll ask you about your skill set so they can match, you know, your skill set most appropriately to whatever type of deployment they're trying to send people on. Um, and then typically if they're looking at deploying you, um, they will, they'll call you and they'll do kind of like a last minute interview, you know. Make sure that you're currently healthy and there's no emergencies going on in your family and those types of things. And then they move toward talking to your boss and your boss has to give that final approval. Mm. Like I said, your boss can always say no. So, um, you know, they, my, my number has come up uh, a couple of <laughs> times and I've had that conversation with my boss. Hey, they called me. They're probably going to be calling you. And, you know, I have a good working relationship with my boss. Um, 
And so we have a discussion about whether it would be a good time for me to go or when would be a good time for me to go. So um, there is a little bit of flexibility, but you know, if you're a commission officer and they call you to go and you're healthy and your boss says it's okay, then you're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that there is, you know, it's, it's not a total choice. Right. Uh, for sure. It's part of, part of your duties as an officer. Tell me a little bit more about the application process. I mean, two years is quite a long time. Is it just super competitive yeah. or, or, or why did it so, take so long for you to find out? So um, it is quite a process and it takes less time than that now. Um, I think people are looking at about a year these days to get in, uh, but it definitely varies. So one of the reasons it took me a while is that they aren't always accepting applications. Um, so when I decided I wanted to do it, they weren't accepting applications for nurses. And so I had to wait until they opened. And at the time it was very competitive. You know, you called and there were only 30 spots and you had to get your spot to even just start the application. Um, nowadays uh, in a post pandemic world, they are actively recruiting. Uh, it's open for nurses. You can go on their website and start your application today. Uh, so it's, it's easier to get in right now. Um, I don't know if that will always be the case. Um, but then once you get in, once you start your application process, it is just like a big bureaucratic federal government kind of thing. And so, you know, you need to get a security clearance. You have to have a full medical, physical. You just have to go through a lot of steps. And so it does take a while. And then once you're cleared, um, they need to schedule you for your officer basic course and then you wait to be able to go and do that. So it does take about a year um, nowadays is what I'm hearing. Did you know the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University regularly posts employment notices on its LinkedIn group? To view this information, visit linkedin.com and search BYU Nursing Alumni and Students. On your first visit, request to join the group. Don't miss out on exclusive content available to BYU nursing students and recent graduates. Join today. You've mentioned a little bit like your current role right now is working with the Indian Health Service and yeah. you do bedside nursing. Um, yeah. tell, tell us a little bit about that, not to completely pivot away from the public health side of things, yeah. but um, it sounds like you're with patients more on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Is that correct? Yeah, so I uh, really love my labor and delivery nursing career. And even if you don't, <laughs> even if you don't want to do the public health service, I would very much encourage you to come up to Alaska and work at Alaska Native Medical Center because it really is so wonderful. Um, so one of the great things about working in labor and delivery, especially at a high-risk referral center where I work, um, is that you get to see all kinds of things. So so I work at kind of the big native hospital in Alaska. So there are villages all over the state. There are smaller hospitals all over the state. Um, but anyone who has a lot of health complications or issues is going to come to us. So about 60% of our patients are flown in and we take care of them. And uh -huh. then about 40% of our patients are just local. You know, they live in Anchorage and they're having a baby. And so they come in to see us. So we see all kinds of really high risk things. Um, we always call, you know, women who just come in and they're healthy and they have a baby. We're like, she's a unicorn because we just <laughs> never get that. Mm. Um, so we get to take care of all kinds of things. Um, and then I personally just really love working with the Native community. Um, 
and it's just like a very special thing to uh, take care of that community. Um, it's just really nice to work with um, an underserved community uh, and to work with um, people who are coming from all across the state. Uh, so some of our women, you know, live in villages where there is no running water and there is no electricity. Wow. Um, some of them are coming from islands that are closer to Russia than they are to the United States. Um, and so they come to our, our big city, which Anchorage is not a big city, but feels like a big city to them. And they have their babies with us. And some of them leave behind their, their husbands, their children, everybody. And they come and they wait for a month to have their baby in, in Anchorage. And so wow. it's just very special to get to take care of them, get to be their support. Um, and, and I really love it. I wouldn't, it would be hard for me to go back into private practice after working at this hospital. Yeah, I imagine. And it sounds like these these patients are traveling for quite some time to to get there. Uh, I mean, you mentioned some of them are closer to Russia than they are to Alaska. Like, how how large geographically is the area that you guys usually end up serving? Yeah, so Alaska's big. Um, there's people coming several hours, uh, and there's also sometimes a process for them to come. So if they're in a little village, they are going to go to hub. Um, so for instance, the place that I was deployed was, it's called Utkiavik now, um, but it used to be called Barrow, Alaska. They went back to the native name. Um, so uh, I took care of, for instance, a woman who had to come in by snow machine or snowmobile. Um, and they brought her in from her village on a snowmobile. <laughs> and I took care of her, packaged her up. Uh, you know, we have limited resources out there. Uh, we have like two units of blood at that hospital. Wow. Um, and then we were waiting for the life flight to take her to Anchorage. And there was uh, a volcano because we have those in Alaska too. Oh <laughs> um, and the volcano had exploded and there was ash. So planes couldn't fly. So we had to keep her in our emergency room for two days. Um, waiting for the ash to clear so that she could get to Anchorage and get the care she needed. So um, Alaska is truly, you know, they call it the last frontier. That's the motto for the state. And they're, you know, if you want to work in, in a wild world but still be in the United States, Alaska has a lot of that for you. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's just a lot of work that can be done up here. Um, you know, like I said, there's there's not even running water in a lot of these places. So there's lots of public health that needs to be done. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, when I first was preparing for this interview and thinking about what it is that you do exactly, I was thinking that you were doing more public health stuff. So more of like a, instead of like a micro level, you know, individual one-on-one -on -one care, more like a micro, like a macro level, like, you know, trying to create health plans and things like that, that you see from like health departments. And it doesn't sound yeah. like that's something that you necessarily do. Is that, does the um, U.S. Public Health Service, do they have that type of stuff? Have you ever considered getting into yeah. that more broader side of the space or has it always been bedside one-on-one um, -on -one nursing for you? Yeah, so I have always had that interest in doing more public health nursing. I was going to do my capstone when I was in school and community nursing, but uh, I just got home from my mission and I felt like I needed to take a position in the hospital so I could get my nursing skills down pat. Um, but I always had that interest. And so that was one of the things that drew to me 
to being a public health service officer is I could still work at the bedside in a hospital taking care of individuals, but I would have the opportunity to do more public health things. So I haven't had the opportunity to deploy very much, um, but I have, through being a public health service officer, I've gotten into more public health things. So um, as an officer, even if you work at the bedside, um, you're going to be expected to to get involved in more than just doing your basic uh, showing up for your 12 hour shifts and that's it. Um, so after a few years in the commission core, I said, you know, I need to grow. I need to move in my career. Um, and so my boss and I worked together to create a new position for me. Actually, I pitched it to her. <laughs> I came mm. up with basically the job I wanted to do. And then I said, hey, I want to do this job. I want to stay here and keep working. You know, I'm an experienced nurse. I'm a strong nurse. Can you make me this position? And then you can keep me. <laughs> and I can do this, this work that I want to do. And it took about eight months for her to, you know, get the budget and figure out how that was going to happen. Um, but she she took me on uh, with my my job that I pitched her. And so since 2019, I've actually been what what we term the obstetric nurse quality liaison, which is the title that I made up for myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I like to tell people that I'm doing my dream job that I made for myself. Wow. Um, so, you know that's an opportunity in nursing, you know, you can, you can make it whatever you want. So what I do is I work, um, I work a little bit less than half of my hours. I still work at the bedside on the floor taking care of patients. And then the other half of my job, I spend um, working with the state and with other hospital partners. Um, we have in Alaska, it formed when I, when I started this position, the Alaska Perinatal Quality Collaborative. Um, and if you are into maternal health at all, um, you should look this up. Uh, Alaska does it. All of the states should do it, and most of them do. Um, it's definitely moving towards having a statewide effort to improve maternal care. Um, so maternal care in the United States uh, for a developed country is, is very low. We don't have good maternal care um, compared to most developed countries. Uh, so that's a big push in the United States is to improve maternal care. And one of the ways they're doing that is to have these perinatal quality collaboratives where you um, work with a big group, look at the evidence, say, what could we be all doing better? So, for instance, the first initiative that we worked on was um, maternal hypertension, um, which is a big complication of pregnancy for a lot of women. And so we looked at that. And we said, okay, what's the best practice? What could we be doing better? Um, for us, the big thing that we worked on in our hospital is timely treatment. So how can we recognize severe hypertension faster and then get them medicated faster and get that blood pressure down to a more safe level to prevent strokes? Um, so we worked on that with all, you know, many other hospitals in the with the state public health department. We worked on that as a group um, and really tried to improve care in that area. Um, and we did. Uh, we were able to bring down uh, maternal morbidity in this state um, from hypertension by like 28% in wow. the two years that we worked on that project. So yeah, um, 
that's kind of the second part of my job is working on these things and I work with the state, but then I come back to my facility and say, okay, this is what we need to change at our facility, or this is what we need to track and improve at our facility. Um, so right now we're working on um, substance use and opioid disorder and how to improve care for women who struggle with that. And so that's, you know, the second part of my job is improving care for women throughout the state and thinking about, you know, ways that we can improve the system to make the individual healthcare that people are getting better and safer. So I'm curious what your specific role in this is. I'm sure there's lots of people that are parts of these organizations that sounds like maybe you're leading or collaborating on, you know, are you, yeah. are, are you kind of like, what's your role in this process? Are you trying to create treatment plans or trying to create interventions or are you more like administrative, you know, try to like teach classes and teach other organizations on how to implement these types of things or what's kind of your role in those types of. Um, it's a little bit of everything. My official role is that I am uh, my hospital's representative on this committee. Um, but it is a collaboration, right? So um, there were some things that my hospital was doing really well that we were able to say, hey, this is how we're doing it. And I would give presentations, you know, across the state and say, let me teach, let me teach you how to do it. This is how we've done it. Um, and so I do some of that. A lot of it is just implementing um, the programs that we've come up with as a group at the state level and taking that back and implementing it at the hospital where I work and then reporting back. Um, so I, I do a lot of that, just representation of the hospital, but the things that we really shine on, the things that we're doing really well, uh, we take that and we share it with everybody else. So, you know, I do a little bit of everything. Um, and that's, again, being a core officer, it really pushes you to get involved in your community more. So. Another thing that I've gotten involved with is um, another thing that's very popular in the maternal health world right now, which is uh, maternal child death review committees. Um, so those are, you know, highly recommended that every state has one and most states are getting them if they don't already have them. But um, so, for instance, this week I uh, sat in, I got sent three cases of maternal death and I reviewed the cases and I'm the medical expert. So then I set in on a review and there's me and there's a woman from Office of Children's Services who's uh, the expert in that social side. And then there is a police officer who's the expert um, in that arena. And then the state leads that and we talk about the cases and then we make recommendations about, you know, are there systems things that we could do, you know, from a policing level, from a healthcare level, um, from a social standpoint? Um, can we educate communities better? Uh, can we improve screening of communities? And then we put those recommendations together and those go out through uh, the state public health department. Wow. So that's just a volunteer thing that I do, um, but I don't know if I would have like gotten involved with all of these things if I wasn't a commission corps officer and didn't push me to look for these opportunities. So, wow. um, yeah.
Maybe circling back a little bit as we're wrapping up here to the U.S. Public Health Service and your your role in that organization. How did you decide to get into that? I mean, it doesn't sound like from the way you're talking about your experiences, you weren't like, you know, an ROTC kid, you know, that was, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go join the military and use my nursing skills in that, in that front. So how did you get involved with that? Yeah, it's actually funny. Um, you know, when you first join the Commission Corps, you go to your office basic group training and you know you have your graduation ceremony and my parents came to it and my mom just said I never thought that I was going to have a kid in the military because <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did not come from that family um so I mean it was a big learning curve for me um to learn you know all the military courtesies and saluting and wearing my uniform appropriately and all of those things um but I just really uh, I really respect the Commission Corps officers that I work with. So at the Native Hospital, some of us are Commission Corps officers and some of us are just normal nurses who get hired to work there, um, which is what I was originally. Um, and I just worked with these officers and they were like, you know, this is a really cool opportunity. I saw that they were kind of like the leaders in the organization. Um, they were the people who are always, you know, going above and beyond and doing those extra projects and and getting involved at like a community level and i just thought yeah that's that's kind of something that i want to do and then you know it's been a blessing to my family you know i i have military benefits so i carry really good health insurance you know my we went down to utah and we went skiing my husband got in a ski accident you know i just showed my military id at the university of utah hospital and I think we paid $8 for him to get his prescription and wow. that was our entire hospital bill. Um, so it's just, it's been a really good experience for me and, um, and for my family. And I just, like I said, I think it's pushed me to go way further in my career and to do things like pitch a new job to my boss, which I don't think I ever would have done if I hadn't have joined the commission corps. Yeah. That's definitely, we have a lot of our, our own nursing students who are also members of our OTC and, and, you know, I think they're potentially considering going into more combat medic type, type roles and things like that. But, um, they say the exact same thing. They just look at it as an opportunity to take the skills that they already have as a nurse and apply them in a whole bunch of different ways and, and really have an opportunity to grow and strengthen the communities that they're in. So I think it's a really great thing that you're doing, that they're doing and um, all around some really amazing stuff that you can do with, uh, with public service in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just say too, um, you know, there is, I didn't know about the commission Corps until I started working at the hospital that I work at, but um, had I known you can actually um, join as a student. So um, they have two different programs that you can do. They're called the COSEP programs. And the junior COSEP program is basically just like a summer internship that you can do. Um, and you can go work in, in some area where officers work and work with them for the summer and check it out and think about whether it's something you would want to do. Um, and I think it's like you can do it for 30 to 120 days. Um, you can do that if you'd like. And then they have a program called the Senior Co-Step Program. And you can do that in your last year of training. So either your last year as a nursing student or if you're a nurse 
you know, getting your nurse practitioner master's degree. You could do it in the last year of your master's program and you just join. You actually commission as an officer in your last year. Um, so you start your program, you start getting your TRICARE benefits, you start getting your housing paid for, you get paid to go to school. Um, and so that's a really good opportunity that, you know, had I known about, maybe I would have taken advantage of as a student. So, yeah. Wow, that, that's really cool. So those, those are the, that's the COSTEP program. Is that what the program? Yeah, it's called the COSTEP program. Um, I could, if you go to USBHS, it's USBHS.gov. Um, that has all the information about the Commission Corps. And there are those two training programs, the COSTEP program. The junior program is just the internship and the senior program is to join in your last year. Um, so with the junior COSTEP where you're just doing the internship, there's no commitment. You just do it for the summer and maybe decide if it's something you might want to do as a senior year student. Um, the senior year, you're actually commissioning as an officer while you're still in school. So you do have a service commitment afterwards mm. um, of twice, however long they pay for you to go to school. So probably going to be two years if they pay for your last year of school. Wow. And um, so they'll actually reimburse your schooling then. Yeah. So they reimburse your schooling. They're paying for your housing while you're in school. Wow. You're getting paid. Uh, you're getting paid to go to school uh, and you're, you're starting your career. You know, if you, if you want to do a 20 or a 30 year career, you get to start it while you're in school. Hmm. Um, and that is the only thing, the catch with that is if you join as a student, your first assignment will be assigned. So after you graduate, if you're in the COSEP program, they will choose where your first job is. Um, and you'll have to work there for two years. And then if you wanted to move somewhere else, you could. But that's the only time where they assign you where you go. Huh. Well, that's fascinating. That sounds like that would potentially be a lot of fun um, if you're up for an adventure. I think that's a great resource for our students to potentially look into. Um, Jennifer, before we let you go, is there are there any other pieces of advice or recommendations you'd give to students that are interested in doing some of the same, same things that you're doing? Um, I would just say, I think one thing that's helped me most in my career is to just be bold and to reach out, um, talk to people, reach out to them on LinkedIn. Um, you know, when I first got home from my mission, I really wanted a capstone project <laughs> in a hospital. I couldn't get a spot. And so I just you know, like walked onto the unit that I wanted to be on and I introduced myself to the manager and, you know, basically sold myself and got the position. So, you know, I think especially today in nursing, there is such a need for nurses everywhere. You can really make nursing the job that you want it to be. Um, you just have to be bold and ask for what you want. So, you know, if there's a place that you think you want to work, uh, you know, see if you can call up the manager and, and work out a deal. If, if you think you want to do a certain job, but you need a certain schedule or whatever, uh, it never hurts to ask. It never hurts to pitch, pitch your proposal and see if you can get it taken. Um, so that would be my advice. Yeah, that's great. So simple, but I think that's so profound. Just never hurts to ask, never hurts to apply. But well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy life. And I know there's a pretty, a pretty big time difference between here in Provo and, and Alaska. But thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us and be on our podcast. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. What a great interview, Ryan. I love how the U.S. Public Health Service has a place for nurses, nurse practitioners, and for students. Yeah, no, Jennifer was an amazing interview, and I love what she said about the Junior Co-Step program. It sounds like it's an amazing opportunity for our nursing students to consider to start to rub shoulders with that organization. Yeah, no doubt. So I've been thinking we are almost episode 60 of the College Handoff. Wow. And I would like feedback from you, the listeners. Will you take a few seconds and share your biggest takeaway from our podcast? What was your favorite subject, guest, story that we've shared so far? Please post a comment either on our Instagram account or send an email to thecollegehandoff at byu.edu. I'll randomly pick a few and make Ryan read them in a funny voice of my choice. What? We didn't agree to that. So you want to send those in as quick as possible. Until then. We'll see you guys next week.